Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event professionals and entrepreneurs about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business using live events. Whether you're running community meetups or conferences, trade shows, and other events, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. We want you to get more attendees, produce epic events, make more money, and most importantly, to do it all with no stress. This podcast is sponsored by EventsFrame. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. Make the switch from Eventbrite today to our amazing ticketing and registration system with no ticket fees. Most ticketing systems charge you a minimum of 3% of the ticket price, but we just have a flat, low fee with no ticket fees and no restrictions. There's literally no system out there that is cheaper than EventsFrame. It's also super easy to use and you can embed your tickets in your website or you can use our own website builder, which is really simple. We have amazing options to apply all kinds of discounts on all the features you'd expect from a much more expensive system like QR code check-in. Go to eventsframe.com, that's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com for a free, no-risk, one-month trial. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today I'm delighted to be talking to Derek Harwell, who I've known for quite a while. I think you were in Italy the first time we met, I think. No, in Amsterdam, actually. Amsterdam, sorry, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you came to, I think you came to the first ever Google Summit we organized in Prague in 2011 or 12 with John Mitton. Um, Correct. And then you went to work in Italy, I think, for a while, didn't you? I did, yeah. I was a principal, middle school principal, and a PYP principal right. in uh, Italy. So, and the last the last time I saw you randomly was quite a few years ago when you just I happened to meet you at a Halloween party in Prague when you were dressed as a convict. Just that was quite a strange. That's like, right. Because you know when, when you see someone and it's out of context and you're thinking I know that person from somewhere but I can't remember where I, that was with you. I was like, well, I know where do I know you from? No, it's Derek. I know. You know, it, it got me. Yeah, and it, it was quite interesting uh, taking the tram to that party too because we were dressed as convicts. Yeah. And Halloween's not that big in Prague. It's not big at and all. And two no. police officers. Two police officers got on the tram and everybody started laughing. So really? it, was, it was a good time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, By the way, there's um, I heard about this thing with policemen, which is crazy. You know, you know, there's a lot of like um, you know, stag party, bachelor parties, and things. And and uh, there used to be a thing. I'm sure it's got banned, but they'd get like a fake. You could you could organize to get like a fake policeman arrest your friend and put them in a cell. But it was all. Fake. I remember that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and they would grab you off really the street. Did, it was like, and they'd kind of say they were gonna beat them and torture them and it's like crazy stuff and I don't know how they got away with it you know I mean it must have I mean you couldn't do that in the US you know you could do all the lawsuits of... would be would be coming out of your ears you know but Absolutely, um yeah. I want to talk a bit about Nepal because Nepal's I, I love I'm looking forward to we're, we're running a summit together we're running a Google summit together um yeah. this uh fall I'm just I'll get the dates I should have had them to hand actually so we can, I can mention it on the podcast it's the 20th, 21, 22 September. Yeah, which is going to so, be an amazing yeah. event. Anyone who's, a, yeah. we've got people coming in from, from India and, and, and Thailand, a lot of, lot of good flights, flights from the Middle East as well. So check it out, uh, Lincoln yeah. School. Uh, yeah, September the 20th, uh, there's an educator boot camp and then there's a summit 21st and 22nd. So it's a weekend and get, great chance to see Kathmandu. And I'm going back with the family, which is, which is going to be amazing. Um, and I, I wanted to talk a bit about Nepal. Like, um, how long have you been, been living there now? So this is, I'm going into my second school year. Yeah. So I've been here for a full year. And a little bit like you, I know we talked about this before. 
I was here about 30 years ago, yeah. or a little over 30 years ago. And yeah, my, my biggest memory then was I got my boot stuck in mud yeah. and couldn't get it out. And so I had to walk best barefoot for the rest of the trek. Really? So that was my third. That was my memory of 30 years ago. And obviously, uh, trying to find shoes that fit me wasn't easy. But uh, yeah, I wanted to come back. I was working for an organization called the Association for the Advancement of International Education (AAIE), and I was living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I don't know if you've ever been. Yeah. But it is just—it's just the I don't know the basket of just everything that. I feel like international education is striving not to do. It's just opulent. Uh, they have several Rolls-Royce dealerships. It was just this so different lifestyle. I lived in Amsterdam for 20 years. I lived in Italy for a couple of years. And I've lived all over the world. But this was just such an opulent lifestyle. And I was like, Plus I there's something, there's something about Florida that's a little bit crazy as well. Like, I don't know if you've seen that tw Twitter account, like Florida Man. Florida Man says, like, it's just... If, if, if you hear like a crazy story and there's a good chance it happened in Florida, you know, like there's a lot of just, I don't, I don't know what I, it is down uh, there, but it's, it's like, you know. Yeah, it is. And I have a Florida driver's license. So I'm a Florida man now. Yeah. <laughs> so if I do something stupid, I have an excuse. Yeah. And sorry, Florida. Yeah. Uh, but I, but yeah, I wanted to go back to something real. I wanted to get back to a small school and I, my school in Amsterdam was small when I joined it and it became really big. I joined a school in Italy, which was quite small. Um, and it's, up and down all the time. It's Rome. So, you know, things fluctuate. So we have about 250 students here, K-12. So it's a very, it's a very small school. It's been, we're celebrating our 65th anniversary this year. So we, it's been here for a long time. We do work closely with the uh, Department of Overseas Schools and the American Embassy. So we have a lot of different types of students here. But when it comes right down to it, we have 15, 16, 17 kids in a grade level. So we can, when we want to do something, we want to make big change, we can make it really quickly. And that was kind of what I wanted to do to, when I came back into international schools after AAIE. I really wanted a school where we could make a big difference really quickly. Yeah. And, I, and one, of the, one of the things here is like the 2015, they suffered this horrible earthquake. Yeah. And the rebuilding has been going on. The school was fine. The school is safe. It's one of the safest places in Nepal to be during an earthquake. Had almost had almost no damage here. So it was, it was. They were very lucky. I wasn't here at the time, and so hopefully we continue that kind of luck. You know. So it was. It's it's a small school. It's a. It's not going to really grow. We are who we are, and we are what we want to be. So we're really happy. Yeah. We, but we, we've been isolated. And that was one of the reasons I reached out to you about doing a Google summit, because a lot of the teachers are very interested in PD, but getting uh, to PD from Kathmandu is not always easy. And uh, we have a great association, NISA and SISA that we belong to. And, and they, their schools have some wonderful PD. And I have been involved in school PD for a very long time. So I talked to the director, Benetta Ramsey, and said, why don't we host the PD yeah. and then we get to control it? So let's let's look at doing some of these things. So yours is going to be one of the first sessions that we, we've hosted. Uh, and we're really looking forward to it. Great. But as far as the school goes, it looks like it could house about 500, 600 students. But we have 250. So we right, have a lot of space. space. It's what's wonderful. It, it like? I'm, I'm curious like, to get into like actually sort of day-to-day -day life living now. I mean, is, is it a pretty easy place? I know there's a lot of bureaucracy. Like when, when you get there, I guess the school probably helped you find accommodation and stuff. Is, is it, was it pretty easy settling in or was, it, was there a lot, a lot of visits to government offices and things? 
You know what? No visits, no visits whatsoever. We, I did my, my visa when I was in Amsterdam and walked straight through the airport. No questions, nothing, and settled in just fine. Handed my passport over to our officer who took it down and got my stamps. Uh, so I have a whatever year and I do whatever year. Uh, tends to go just very easily, very easily. So everything is, it's, it's quite... A lot of places like this can be, like you said, convoluted and very heavy paperwork. Yep. But all of it's, even if you're just traveling, you get a 10-day, 15-day visa, you print it out, you come in, you have to have a passport photo. That's the hardest thing. Make yeah. sure you have a passport photo. And you kind of just breeze through the lines, uh, wait for your luggage, and outside there's cabs and everything else uh, it's pretty good. What, yeah. what about living? Do most people, I mean, I remember, so when I was there, it was a bit less than you. It's probably, I've been there three times. It was, I was there about 25 years ago. I did, uh, yeah. I did a three tracks. I did Everest, Annapurna, and uh, Langtang. And I was so 20, yeah. probably 20 to 25 years ago was the time I was there. And um, has it changed much in that time, do you think? Or was it, I mean, <laughs> people say it's changed less than you think, you know, I'm sure it is different, but. Um, there's a, from 20 years ago or so, there's a picture of the Boda Stupa, yeah. uh, which used to be out in the, rice fields and whatnot and now you can't even see it because it's surrounded by housing and oh, really? buildings and everything so there's been a huge influx of new building of people from around the valley and from people around the world uh which has brought lots of different kind of cultural things that are great so a lot of cultural celebrations a lot of foods uh opportunities that you wouldn't get in other places in the world so there's some really nice benefits from the growth but at the same time traffic and your normal growth types of things that, you know, aren't aren't good in large cities. So traffic yeah. is one of those. Uh, so mobility can be difficult. We're we're in a, a pretty nice place uh, near. Do, near do, do, do people, most of the teachers live in apartments or houses, or how, how does it work? Yeah, we pretty much live in apartments, and uh, and mostly we end up getting in a whole apartment building. We rent the whole apartment building yeah. to make sure that you know that we can look out for each other. It's a small it's a small group of teachers. There's only. Under 40, let me say that. I think it's about 36 teachers here. So it's a small group of people, uh, close-knit, and we kind of tend to you know, hang out together. And, and we all have uh, several apartment buildings. I think Muslim, and there's another building that has you know, five or so apartments. So we have several different buildings around the city. The school supplies the buses, and the buses are uh, great for families and for the teachers. So uh, it's one of our benefits is that we have transportation to and from school yep. every day. And then... Yeah, so that's that's very helpful as well. I know um, when I was there, um, actually a friend, uh, a friend of my girlfriend's was he was manager of the Summit Hotel, so we stayed there and it was interesting. We went out, so it was kind of interesting, you know. We got to have a bit more, you know. We stayed in Tamil, had the backpacker thing, and we also had a bit of a local scene. And I remember it was, it was definitely very limited then. Now. I remember there was like one Mexican restaurant, and there was, you know, a few like one of every, there was kind of one of everything, you know, and. Um, but uh, what's it like, like social? Now? You, like you mentioned that the teachers and, and, and the staff go out together. Like, is it is it is it is it pretty fun? Is it you know is it Tamil focused or different parts of town? You know, it depends. Like uh, when you were, you know, when we were both here 25, 30 years ago, we were younger, and Tamil was going to be our place. It's a, it's a great place. But every every city has a place like that yeah. that is uh, you know streets lined with bars and souvenir yeah, yeah, shops yeah. and restaurants and all kinds of interesting things that cater to the tourists and Tamel's a wonderful place for that. Yeah. Now, these days I would kind of like to have a really nice place. So I tend to stay in Jamshakal, uh, which has this place called uh, restaurant road, right. uh, has a lot of nice little trendy looking bars and, uh, interesting hole in the walls. 
kind of yeah, place, yeah. bars, some local places, that kind of thing. Uh, it's kind of more suited to my speed these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's any, there's something for everybody, and that's the nice play, thing about it. Tamel itself is, it's certainly accessible, but again, that's that's heavy traffic. That's downtown. Yeah, yeah. You know, at night everything closes here quite early, except for Tamel. So if you go out late, you want to go out to Tamel. Right. So. Otherwise, like you mentioned, the summit, there's plenty of things around the summit now. I think you'd be uh, surprised if you saw it. Um, yeah, there was nothing by the summit. Literally, there was there was a summit hotel, and then there was just a bunch of houses, and then you had to drive to Tamela or whatever. That was it. No, there's there's a whole uh, row of bars. There's a Mexican restaurants right now. Uh, a wonderful British pub, uh, you know, if you want to watch football or or any anything else uh, yeah. British. It's a great little British pub there. The British school is just down the street, just a tad from there That's too. Right. So yeah, I spoke to them years ago. I remember, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. So yeah, it's 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 definitely bustling, and sits at the top of the hill. Beautiful views. That's where we we house uh, some of our teachers when they come in at the first of the year. So new teachers and whatnot. Right. So we have them all set up. So it's a great it's a great place. No, yeah. cool. Looking looking forward to. It. I mean, Nepal's um, you know, it's such a beautiful place, especially Kathmandu. You know, you can see you can see the mountains all around, and it's it's great. You know, I'm really uh, looking forward to get back to it. It's great to fly into and see everything, you know. Oh, uh, it's beautiful to fly into, yeah. It, it can take a while. We still only have the run one runway, yeah. So it can take a while. You have to. The nice, it's kind of nice because you do have to circle around so you get to see everything. Yeah. And depending on where you're coming from, you sit on the left or the right hand side of the yeah. plane. You get to see the Himalayas. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you have to look that up yourself. <laughs> yeah. I think from Europe, it's. Um, I left think from side. Europe, it's the left hand side. It's left side. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll be coming. Actually, I'll be coming from Thailand. We're going to be we're going to go because we're going to invest ourselves in Bangkok for a while. So we're going to come out from Bangkok. So I'll be flying, uh, which is a okay. I think daily. It may even be twice a day from from Bangkok now. It used to be every day. Well, there's Lion Air and there's um, there's several in Thai. Lion and Thai, and I think maybe um, Silk Air. I can't remember. There's several yeah. carriers. It's surprisingly close. Yeah. It's only like I think three and a half hours or three hours from Thailand, isn't yeah. it? To, to uh, three Nepal. hours. Yeah, three hours. Yeah, yeah. not bad. Great. So um, I want to talk about a few things about your background, actually. One thing I wanted to talk about first was the, the TEDx, which you were involved in, because I've had a few people talk, ask me about running a TEDx, and I even looked at it myself. I was going to run one in Prague, and I remember I looked through the whole process, and just one of those things, I was just too busy to, to, to do it, you know, in the end. But um, and I know you were involved in a committee, and I'm just curious about anything you can remember about the, the process, about how you got, you know, how you got involved and, and how it worked with, you know, how, what kind of criteria you had to fulfill to be able to run a, a TEDx. Yeah, that's, yeah. So that was right around the same time that we met. So yeah. our first event, it was TEDx Amsterdam ed. Yeah. So it looks like Amsterdam when you, when you okay, actually yeah, write yeah. it all out, but it was, it was uh, specifically for education. So the person who started it was Jessica Lynch. I worked with her on some other things. She's, she kind of uh, got started in something called boom Chicago. It's a comedy club in Amsterdam where Seth Meyers and several other kind of famous people came from. And she was there with Seth and all of those. And we, we uh, moved to Amsterdam around the same time in the early nineties. So we, she, you know, we, we worked on some other programs and things and we, she came up with this idea and I, I was just going to help out. Uh, so I was one of the originators of working on it. We did the first one. And I honestly, I don't remember the year, but if you say 2011, when we met, it was yeah. probably 2011. Oh, yeah. probably. So, 
there's there's quite a bit that happens if you want to run a TEDx event. You just can't throw up a sign and call it TEDx. Yeah. You have to you have to work with the team in California, and you have to work with uh, some certain ground rules. And there's quite a few ground rules. Yeah, you like, have to basically get permission, don't you? And you have to fulfill certain yeah. criteria to be able to run it. Yeah. Yeah, and typically there's a licensee. So there's a license that uh, hold, somebody who holds the license for your country. And Jim Stoltis is the person who uh, holds the license for the Netherlands because we were in Amsterdam. So we worked through him, got ours licensed. Yep. Um, all TEDx events are licensed through TED. So you do have to do that. And then from there, you work with production teams to um, – they allow a lot of creativity – but it has to be a certain red, it has to be a certain black, and it has to be a certain white. You have to follow the fonts. You have to do certain things. Um, and so, do, do each, a lot, does each session have to be five minutes? Is it a fixed length of time every every talk? No, 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 no. That's that's kind of up to you. We did. We ran some seven minutes, some eighteen minutes. I think we did a couple of twelve minutes. We had some musical things involved. We did it in the beautiful Concertgebouw in the center of Amsterdam. So we had we had some wonderful musicians who came from the Concertgebouw, and it was a great, we have a great relationship with them. So that was um, just an added bonus. Yeah. Uh, wonderful space. You know, the, it's a historical building anyway. I guess the other things that, you know, that you need to consider is when you run a TEDx event, you also have to show, and this could change and I could be wrong, but you have to show a couple of videos from another official TEDx event. So, if you wanted to, if you wanted to show a TED talk, an actual TED talk from California, you could do that. That would count as one of your three. We had to run three in every one of our events, so we, that's what we did, uh, and that's another requirement. So right, great. And and how? Yeah. Um, and in terms of, I think the, the money you, you you can charge for the TEDx, but you're not supposed to make a profit. I think that's that's how it works, isn't it? That's like I think it seemed quite vague, but that's how I understood it. Yeah, our first two years we did not charge. Yeah. Um, we, we got enough from, uh, no, I'm sorry. Let me, we definitely had enough sponsorship in the first couple of years to carry the whole thing without having to charge. But a lot of times if you don't charge people don't always show up for free. So you want, you want a little bit of money just to make sure that people are going to show up. I've, this is, and, I've talked about this before quite a few times on, 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 on the events podcast is, um, you know, like we, we, we were saying about Nepal, you know, we want local teachers to come, uh, but you know, we, I know this from experience in Thailand, for example, in the Bangkok summit, which I think you've been to. We've we offered Thai right. teachers, and we had a hundred teachers sign up, and, and like twenty came. You know, and 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 the, the dropout rate varies a lot depending on the event, but still, there's always a dropout rate, a big one, if if you if it's free. Uh, absolutely, and yeah, and if it's free, uh, you get what you pay for a lot of times too. So people don't always take it seriously. So I know that we charged, and we also, you know, we had a lunch. Uh, we did some interesting things uh, for networking, and one of our lunches was there were four different lunch boxes, and each one, so one lunch box would have four sandwiches, one lunch box would have four salads, one would have four desserts, and one would have four, I don't know, something else. And you had to find four other people who had a different box than you so that all of you could have a balanced lunch. So they had to, people had to walk around and do this kind of a networking event That's that we idea. wanted them to do. Yeah. And then, you know, we also, they don't do this anymore because when, once you do it once, everybody knows, but we grouped people and they had to meet during one of the breaks and they met and they uh, had to figure out why it, we had, we asked them pre questions, like what's your favorite toothpaste? What's your favorite TV show? And 
we just, in the end, we just randomly put them together and they tried, had to figure out why they were put together. And there was no reason, <laughs> but you know, they thought it must be the toothpaste and they were going through. So they got to know each other really well, just from trying to figure out some of these things. And, you know, we, we admitted it at the end of the, at the end of the TEDx event. That's a good thing. I think, um, these icebreakers are great and we're trying to incorporate them now, um, in our opening and closing sessions. And I think it's, it's good for anyone running events to think about this. It's just rather than, you know, you can, I think running in a, a conference, whether it's for teachers or for any, any kind of audience, like, or any event, the biggest mistake I think you can make is being too academic about it. It's like, you know, you have the, just the keynote and then, you know, everyone sits in rows. And, and I think, you know, having, having something where people get up and meet each other is, is, is a really great way to, to kick things off. Or, or even just periodically through the day because people get a bit sleepy and tired. And if you, if you do exercises like this periodically, it wakes people up as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, most, most events now, we didn't have an app at the time, but most events now that I run, I would have an app. And, you know, lots of times you can just throw in a scavenger hunt or throw in something for extra points. And, you, you know, you're playing a game while you're also at, attending the conference. Uh, you know, photo photo competitions and lots of different things that you know, that come with apps, or if you build your own app. Yeah, great. So, um, and how, like, in terms of running it, like, did you did you have a big team to run it, or was it? Did you keep it quite lean in terms of the actual running of the event? Well, I would say there was about ten people. Uh, so we had, you know, people who. The one nice thing is we, there's a hotel school in Amsterdam, a really nice hotel school in Amsterdam. So we recruited quite a few students from there uh, who wanted to have something on their resume for one. We couldn't afford to pay anyone. So everybody was kind of a paraprofessional and volunteer. So, you know, we got some really high expertise there. It was it was kind of an amazing, overwhelming, um, it, for me, overwhelming how well prepared these kids were for going into hospitality. And they, they really outdid it. I mean, some of the, some of the, a lot of the ideas for breaks and things came from them. Um, just, it was, it was quite an amazing thing. We also had some professionals who were in marketing and advertising, and we had some professionals who ran their own schools. And um, like I said, Jessica Lynch, who had her background at Boom Chicago, so she knows how to run events as well. So there was a lot of expertise in the room, but not so much with running a TED event. We also had um, this group called the New Verbalizers. So once we decided uh, who our speakers were be, would be, we reached out to them and they helped everybody be able to tell their story in a way that was different and in a way that was well rehearsed and well, you know, that it, it was gonna make the message, make sure that the message was clear that they were trying to provide. Uh, this is a really important point so that about was co helpful. coaching speakers. So you, you, you actually had a group called see, the New Verbalists. So, so they were kind of a consultancy who helped people prepare to do public speaking and things. Is that right? That's absolutely. That's what they do, yes. yeah. And they're part of a marketing company as well, I believe. But yes, that was one of the one, uh, quite a professional group that helped us. Uh, and I think they volunteered their time just to, you know, just to make sure that the thing got off the ground and did a did really well. All of that is, of course, on our on that website for TEDx Amsterdam. Uh, the yeah. very first year is definitely there. And how did you promote it? Like, what was behind the promotion of, of the event? How did you get people to come, especially to the first event, which is always the, the you know the the hard one? Yeah, exactly. So you know, Amsterdam's not a big city, so very close knit. So a lot of word of mouth, but we also did a huge advertising campaign with the you know the street. The people who do the street signs, I cannot think of 
their name, but um, they were very helpful in providing us free space for a good chunk of time to advertise at the TEDx Amsterdam. And also the Concertgebouw has a huge list of very important uh, movers and shakers and uh, that type of thing from Amsterdam themselves. So they, they helped uh, with our reach out campaign too. Just to step in here quickly to mention our sponsor, EventsFrame, a project I'm co-founder of, and I want to mention our integrations, which we believe are the best available. Firstly, payment integrations. You can connect any payment gateway, such as Stripe, PayPal, and Braintree, or even bank account or take cash. You can connect everything to EventsFrame. We also have the best marketing integrations out there with every email marketing system, including MailChimp, Zapier, Infusionsoft, Aweber, Drip, and we've got deep integrations with all the social media platforms like Facebook, Google, and Twitter. We've got thousands of events live on EventsFrame right now, ranging from small community meetups to huge trade shows and conferences. Check it out over at eventsframe.com. That's E-V-E-N-T-S-F-R-A-M-E.com. Now, back to the interview. So, so you weren't, even though it was a TEDx EDU, you weren't just focusing on teachers, you were focusing on getting a range of people there. That's correct, because we don't think education only happens in schools. That was the big part of it. You know, it, it's one of those ideas that for education to be valued, everyone in the community must value it. And that's, and that's a really important thing. However, Dutch culture is kind of interesting here because Dutch culture says don't stand out. Yeah. You know, be normal. There's this, uh, you know, gewoon. Be normal. Don't stand out. So even if you're a billionaire, your house looks like crap because you don't want to stand out. And so here we are trying to raise the level of education in a country that says, you know, don't stand out. So, you know, the way that you have to go about doing something like that is interesting, too, because we want people to have be high achieving, but not notor uh, not without the notoriety. You know, we're not looking for awards. We're not looking for those types of things. So um, and I think. I think uh, Stan Putman, who was 18 years old or 17, I think at the time, was one of our first speakers, said it well because he went to TEDx Amsterdam um, and said, you know, it was gray. There wasn't, there wasn't a head in the room that wasn't gray. And those are not the, who are going to be your education, uh, people who are going to shake up education or disrupt education are probably not gray. They can be, but probably not gray. They probably, their education and what these kids need are so far apart. So what they remember from school. But, you know, we had, we had Anton uh, Phillips speak as well, the uh, heir of Phillips, electro, electric, uh, you know, components, electrical components, yeah. medical components now. Uh, he spoke. And, I mean, he said he, he, didn't, he didn't even start living until he was in his late 80s. He didn't even understand what education was or what he knew and what he didn't know until he was in his late 80s. So it's not really the gray. It was just... The graying of the ideas, sure, and whether or not you had the you know the best people in the room, and that was one of our you know it was selective at the end because we didn't just take everybody who wanted to come. Uh, we had more we had more people wanting to come than we had seats, so we had to be selective in why we wanted them. That's a great situation to be in. Yeah, well, that's, that means you did your job right in, in terms of you know like it's good to promote it and 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 let people know they're scarcity because that makes people more keen to come when they know there's a limited number of places, you know, it, it, it increases the interest. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, well, obviously we zoomed in on on the TEDx. I'm really keen to just get into your background because, like, it's quite interesting. If we, uh, it'd be just good to fly through the, the countries you've worked in because you've had a mix of. Um, obviously, you know, we first met you were working for international schools, and then you went to work for some organisations. Presume you missed working for a school again and came back. Like, where, where did you start off working, and, and what countries and places have you have you worked in? Well, uh, at my non-education side, I worked in uh, Central America, uh, in Guatemala and Honduras when I was young. And then that kind of got me interested in more international. I went back to the U.S., uh, became a teacher, stayed in the U.S. for about three years, got my teaching credentials all set, you know, and did and learned some innovation things. My, my background, I wanted to be in middle school. And the reason I did is because in middle school is when I made my decision I was not going to graduate high school, and I did not graduate high school. Really? I dropped out. Yeah, and it, I was—I hated it. I didn't enjoy it at all. I dropped out. I went. To, I was taking AP classes at the time, which would convert into a year or so of university courses. And I went to um, a community college and finished up some things. Transferred into Virginia Tech. So by the time I was 18, I was actually graduating from Virginia Tech. And the bursar said, well, we don't have a copy of your high school diploma. And I said, well, I don't have one. So I had to take a GED really quickly before I could graduate the unit from the university. Right. Uh, because it's a requirement. Uh, so I did that. And then from, from there, and I went to Appalachian State because I wanted to focus on middle school. And that's always been my passion. It's always been my focus. So I, from there, I, I took the job in Amsterdam in the early 90s. And I stayed there for a little over 20 years and moved on from there to Italy for a couple of years where I was the PYP principal in the middle. And the at the moment, it was middle school principal, but it became an MYP school while I was there. That was one of the things that the owner or director of the school really wanted for it to be an MYP school. So that was one of my one of the things that I had to do. Uh, and then from there, I did the AAIE, uh, where I was the program director AIE is for directors of international schools and leadership of international schools. So it was a nice opportunity for me to to step, uh, take a step, a different step in running a school as opposed to teaching in a school. All of my other PD things that I had run in the past, uh, Elmley and, and other things that I've done, have always been focused on the classroom education. And AIE helped open my mind to leadership and education yeah what, so what, what events do they run because i was actually looking at attending one or two of their events they had some, some events in the u.s and i think some in some in central america it, it just never worked out with the dates and things but what type of events what type of events for teachers do they run well it's again it's leadership aaie is leadership so yeah. it's usually uh, a lot of it has been child protection in the past few years because that's been a big key um uh component that schools were not doing so well, and now uh, with uh, COIS, um, the Council of International Schools, and some other organizations who have really upped the game on um, uh, child protection. So that's that's been one of the big things. Advancement and marketing was another one that we we would do summer interns or summer workshops for people in those organizations, and that was a big one as well. Um, and so different different things year long. But the big conference it was in, is in a big city, either San Francisco or New York, uh, sometimes D.C., sometimes uh, just Chicago. It's been going on for a little over 50 years, um, and it's, it's for directors. It's surrounded by, on either side, either weekend of the conference itself, is a hiring fair. 
So ISS and search on either weekend, typically. So it helps the directors meet up. They talk about, especially like the director of somewhere like Kathmandu, where our director, Benetta Ramsey, doesn't have a school nearby, whereas in Amsterdam, there were several international schools nearby where they could talk about issues about, say, the government's doing a tax on this or the government's doing that or won't let us import this or we have this security concern. Yep. So her best bet to have that kind of discussion with other directors only, not just leadership, but really directors, would be at AAIE. She has uh, NISA, for example, um, where, which is in Bangkok this year, NISA Leadership, where she can talk to other school leaders, principals, directors, um, also about different issues that we may have. But uh, AIE is directors, and you know, it's kind of it's not just directors; it is leadership, but it's historically been directors. Right. So it's one of those good opportunities for them to be able to discuss what it's like to be a director of a school. And I know that wellness is another big factor that's new to international schools, and uh, you know. Doesn't really hit your school until the director decides this is important for my school. And I know that uh, Bonetta, once again, has it from a lot of places, but I think AIE was uh, imperative for her creating the position here for a director of wellness, not right. only for students, but also for the staff. So it's very important. We take that very seriously here, too. That's interesting. Director of wellness. I've never, yeah. never really heard of that before. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an important. We we think it's very important. It's as important as director curriculum or any other principal. It's a very important job because you know if you're not if you're not well, if you're not happy, you're not going to be your students are not going to be learning from you, and your students can't learn if they're not well. So it's an important job. We also you know we do have some um, natural issues here. We you know it is an earthquake zone. We do have some air quality things in the winter time. Right now it's kind of nice. Um, by the time of the conference, it's still super nice, but during the winter, people burn, uh, you know, stay warm, that kind of thing. So our air quality deteriorates. Uh, so we, you know, that's one of the things that the director of wellness makes sure that indoor play on those bad days and that kind of thing as well. Right. Great. So, so obviously from, from the U S to, to, to Nepal and, uh, right. how, yeah. And, and how long do you think you stay in Nepal? I mean, I, I honestly, like, I, I think it's such a great place. I could, uh, I know it's a place where everyone I know has lived there and has left has wanted to go back. That's the strange thing about it. Yes. People, get, people have enough of it, of the craziness. And then they're like, as soon as they leave, they want to go back there. You know, it's funny. Uh, that's how I felt over the summer. I was in wonderful, predictive Germany where everything works. Uh, and that was awesome. I really enjoyed it. You know, the doors actually closed when you close them. And then I get back here and, and everything's a little quirky and I missed it because uh, uh, when everything works, you just take it for granted. And here it's, um, you know, you have to work a little bit. When things work here, they work well. When things don't work, it can it can be a little more complicated. Yeah. The people here are, are wonderful and friendly. And um, we have this wonderful person here at school, Regina Tapa, who does a lot of our cultural training. And she tells that people in Nepal treat their guests as gods because they believe they are. And I have felt that kind of treatment here. I feel like people take very, very good care of us. Uh, the, the local uh, people here are just wonderful and, and service is amazing. And you know, everybody is friendly. It's a, it is chaotic, you know. There is traffic. I bike to school, 
in the traffic and I dodge cows and I get chased by a dog and I'm whipping in and out of traffic just like anybody, just like a local. So oh, it's pretty brave. It's a wonderful, <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful experience. It's exactly what I wanted. So I think I think I'll be here. This is my uh, my second year going into. So I think I'll be here a couple more years for sure, um, because it really just the school itself is exactly what I wanted, um, and the city is amazing. The views, I oh my, see the Himalayas from our rooftop. It's just a stunning, a stunning, stunning place. Great. Well, look, Darren, that's really cool. I think one, I guess, one final thing. Um, you, you know, you you mentioned before that you've spoken at, at a lot of events, ISTE and a bunch of other conferences. And do you have any any kind of tips, anything for people that want to speak at events, how to how to get to do it, how to put together good presentations, and anything that you've learned in your experience, you know, getting to speak at these events. I, I think I think courage. I think that's the first thing you have to uh, present. You just you have to make the proposal and then do it. And I've encouraged so many people who have come back to me and, be, and said that is the best professional development I've ever done because I had to organize my notes. I had to organize my thinking. I had to really meditate on what it is I do in the classroom that I want to with that I feel worthy to share and. That to me, that's one of the biggest thing is consider it a PD opportunity. Do not consider it you bragging about something you've done or uh, bragging about your school or uh, drawing attention to yourself. It's not that at all. It's definitely sharing practice is one of the best PDs you'll ever do. So that's one thing. The other thing is is getting other people involved. If you do something in isolation, it's not worth doing. So if you're gonna, if I was gonna present, I would have three or four people brainstorming ideas with me. I would open up the Google Doc and we would put some things on it and how I wanted to bring something in and how I was gonna talk about this. Yes, in the end, I would be the person presenting it or maybe we would do a group presentation. But if I was the one presenting it, it can't just be my voice. It can't just be about me. It's gotta be about other people. So I think that collaboration is uh, key to making a very good presentation and of course, Bouncing ideas and practicing it with others is very helpful as well. Yeah. And again, putting putting students on that same team with you and getting their input is important too. And yeah, one thing, that's, that's great advice. One thing I'd add to that is um, don't be discouraged if, if you don't get accepted. You know, I mean, I've, I've applied to speak at plenty oh, of yeah. places that said no. And, you know, I think that's, you know, I, one, you know, one of the great things about running my own business, running apps events is that, like when you run a business, like it's completely different to having a job in terms of you just suffer constant rejection and, and you and it's it's great. You know, I think if I think running your own business, have, having a or having a sales job, there's a few things you can do in life. But like, you know, like I know some teachers are like, oh, I got Isti said no, and uh, that's it. You know, and I'm like, you know, I get rejected like ten times a day because if you run yeah, a business, you're exactly. always trying things and people say no, people say no, and then you just. Get used to, you know, running into the door and eventually you're going to go through it, you know? Yeah. You know, my very first time in North Carolina as a teacher, I, I applied to this conference uh, to present. Didn't know much about it, but my principal really encouraged me to do it. And I said, sure, sure, sure. And then uh, Al Gore, who was the vice president at the time, was um, also going to be there. And, and I was super excited because I wanted to hear him speak. Of course, with you know, with his job, he got pulled away quickly, and they said, "Derek, we're bumping you to the keynote for you're going to replace Al Gore for the keynote." No pressure then. 
no pressure. And I was 23 years old in my first year of teaching. Wow. And <laughs> I did, I did a, a lot of uh, work back then with Roger Wagner and Hyper Studio. So a lot of my presentation was Hyper Studio and um, using the writing process through telling media stories and different things like that. So I was lucky because my school had video cameras, had uh, some early on Mac um, computers that had video boards in them so that we could do things with, with video and had all kinds of language learning happening. It was quite exciting, I think, for the time. Uh, but yeah, I was not, I had maybe, we all had to have handouts and I maybe had 20 and there were about uh, a little over 1500 people in the room. Okay. So, so no handouts. They just had to sit back and listen. Wow. And I will great. tell you, I will tell you, the tech failed at one part. The tech failed, and I made a big joke of it. You know, like you thought I was going to be slick or something. I mean, tech fails on you. This stuff well, that's, happens. That's another thing I tell every presenter is that get ready for for the internet to go down, and maybe yep. you just and you know you know what I, it's happened to me. I, you know, I've run so many events and I've presented. I don't present as much as I used to actually. I'm, I'm, it's going to be great, and the poll's going to be the first time I presented in quite a while. But I, um, I I've had everything happen, and and, and you know what I think is like, uh, especially in kind of something for educators, like a smaller event. If if the internet goes, it's like right, we're having a roundtable discussion. You know, we sit around in a circle, and I'm going to leave the discussion. We're going to talk about the topic. You know, and it works. People right. often have a better time than than if they, if I done the original presentation. You know, that's true. Yeah, yeah, because everybody in the room has something that they can add, you know, so it's, it's a great, yes, it's a great thing. As long as you get them started with something, yeah. otherwise it's silence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, look, Derek, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, looking forward to meeting, I guess, probably coming up to About a month now. Yeah. One month, yeah. one month. One month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, time's yeah, fast. I'm looking, I'm looking, it's been a while, Dan, so I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing you too. And, yeah, um, I know. Yeah. I've got a, got a child and a wife now, so things have changed. So wow. looking forward to meet up and uh, we'll go out, for, go out for dinner and uh, a few drinks in Nepal as well. So it should be good. Absolutely. All right. Get you some Gorka beers. That's great. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yes. All right, man. Thanks. Do you want to sell more tickets to your amazing events? Events Frame Event Ticketing has been built to minimize the amount of time it takes to buy a ticket. Result, you sell more tickets. Check out eventsframe.com 